Recognizing the attacks of the enemy, next on Abounding Grace. The Syrians were determined to destroy Israel. God was greater, and his determinative plan was to protect Israel. And that's just the devil's goal in your life and mine, you know. It, it, he's relentless. He just doesn't give up. It doesn't matter if you look to the left. It doesn't matter if you look to the right. It doesn't matter if you look down. You know, the devil is relentlessly going after you. Now, I do believe we give the devil far more credit than he deserves, but I don't think we should go below and not give him the credit that he deserves in the sense that the, the, many of the things in your life have come directly from the pit of hell because the devil is relentless. This is amazing grace. This is From Calvary Church, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace. Glad you could make it as we get back into our study of 2 Kings. Pastor Ed Taylor is about to finish up chapter 13. Elisha is sick and about to die, and Pastor Ed will relate that to our experiences with sickness and death. And then we'll go on to discuss how we're to treat our spiritual leaders. And as we close things out, we'll notice three great victories King Joash experienced over the Syrians. It's a reminder that victory comes by faith in God. With a lot of ground to cover, let's get right to it. It's important for us to recognize that Elisha did not heal himself. Even though on many occasions God used him to bring healing. And so God doesn't always heal the way that we desire. And we see that in Elisha's life here. Now, the last time we really pay, had any attention in our studies in Elisha was way back in chapter 9. And it's between chapter 9 and here in chapter 13, uh, about 40 years has passed. So about 40 years of ministry is not accounted for biblically and written down for us by the Holy Spirit. It's a time of silence, a time of silence in his life. And even though it's silent in, in terms of what we know, Elisha was still at work in the land and the Lord was with him. And we just may have those times in our lives, church, where people really don't know what's going on. They really don't know what's happening. It seems to be silent, and yet God is still working in our lives. Because God never stops working. He's always working in and through us. And, and we may have those times in our lives where not a lot of people know what we're doing. Or the spotlight may not be on us as it was before. But remember that the Lord is always with you. And it doesn't matter what people know about you. And it doesn't matter what you're doing behind, you know, that you, whether it's in front of people or it's behind the scenes. As a matter of fact, I prefer, I prefer for people not to know what I'm doing when I'm serving the Lord. I actually prefer that. Even though much of my ministry is up front and in front of you, and you see this part of it where I have the privilege of serving you, but I prefer for you not to know how many phone calls I made today or what folks, you know, even in the stories that I do share, I share, I ask for permission so that they know ahead of time because I prefer to just do my ministry as unto the Lord so that 
whatever's done in secret, the Father knows about it. And I'm only worried about what the Father cares about because that's the motto of Jesus. The motto of Jesus is that at the end of his life, he was able to say that I, I have done that which pleases the Father, not man. Because the more that you're able to do behind the scenes and the more you're able to do for the Lord that nobody knows about, the less temptation you have toward being puffed up in pride or taking the applause of men or wanting the applause of men. And so I pretty much prefer, and you know, many times, uh, most of the times, when, when you as a church family, we model this as a church, when we sow a seed into a biblical, you know, financial seed to bless somebody, we want to bless them in the, something that they need, or we, we help another church in town, or we help a missionary with something extra, we don't announce it. We don't put a plaque. We don't put it up on the screen. We, we don't bring them up and give them a check. We, we, don't, we just want the Lord to bless somebody. We don't want to be in the way. We don't want notoriety. I, I do share that you're a giving church, and I'll continue to share that. You're a giving church. You give to ministries around the world, not only personally, but as a church family. You invest in lives. You invest in ministries. You invest in other churches. You invest in church plants. You buy phones. You buy, you buy things for pastors that, that they need because they don't have the resources. You help buy books for kids. and back, you, you mean, oh, it, it is beyond what even could be announced. You have gener- you're sitting by generous people right now that give generously unto the work of the Lord. You, you're sitting around people that give enormous amounts of money to the work of the ministry through the church here, through Grace FM, but you're not going to see a little tap, you're not going to see a little thing on the back of the chair, this chair provided by so-and-so family. And you're not, we're not going to put it, we're going to paint on the wall, the biggest giver this week is, and put it up on the wall. We're going to point people to the Lord. And so whatever you do in word or in deed, the Bible says, do it as unto the Lord. Don't do it to be recognized. Don't do it even for the good feeling that you get when you give. Do it because you have the good feeling of what? Pleasing and obeying God. Train yourself to do that. Because if you train yourself to, be, to do things for the applause of men, it will ruin your life. It will ruin you. Because not only is the applause of men fleeting, it is a poor substitute for the applause of heaven. And you don't want your rewards here on earth where moth and rust can eat it up and destroy it. You want to lay up what? For yourselves treasures in heaven awaiting you and me. In a life, even though it was a silent time, it's okay. Sometimes it's even better to be in those silent times. And the king, he comes, shows great respect for Elisha. He's a strong spiritual leader for the nation. He was a valuable man, even though folks didn't always agree with him. And I praise God for the strong leaders in our church and the strong leaders we've been able to be a part of in the past 19 years here in Aurora. We're just so grateful for those that have stuck around, those that have longevity, those that have stuck it out, those that have persevered, strong leaders in our church, in the church, in this world, in homes, in culture. I'm so grateful for you parents that are strong leaders in your homes, discipling your children so that you realize, parents, the most important thing for you to do with your children, this is the only goal 
It's not to get them through Harvard, and it's not to get them with all the possessions, and it's not to get them launched off into the world. You have one job. You have one job. You know how they post those things? You have one job. Here it is. This is your job. Get your kids to Jesus. That's your job. Parents, it's not my job, even though I will pick up the slack as unto the Lord if I have to or if God allows me to. It's not my job. It's your job. It's your job to get your kids to the Lord, to disciple them, to declare to them the love of Jesus Christ and his great sacrifice for their lives, to instill in them a love of God and a love of God's word and a love of church where you're gathering together with the saints and what it represents as church, like we're gathering today, has been a part of the life of believers from the very beginning, from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And even before that, Jesus was gathering with the guys and the gals to talk about the things of the Father and grow together in discipleship. You got one job, parents, one job. And all those other things, you can train them how to be, navigate through the world. We need to do that. How to, how to navigate through the temptations, you bet. But bringing them to the place of surrender to Jesus Christ, it's so important. So I thank you for being good, strong leaders. I thank you for making the hard decisions. I thank you on behalf, I believe, of God, but also of me as a pastor and a fellow brother along the way on this path following Jesus. Thank you for being the strong leader that God's making you and continue to grow in that leadership. Continue to grow in the things of God. Now, let me just say this before we finish up the chapter. How do we treat spiritual leaders? What is your responsibility in mind? How, how am I to treat my pastor, Jeff Johnson? How am I to treat him? Or Rudy Cardenas, who served me, Pastor Rudy. How am I to treat those pastors that have been placed in a place of authority in my life? Let me show you real quick. We're not going to develop it, but I've taught this in another time, but I just want to show it to you. First Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible answers that question. What's my responsibility to these great spiritual leaders that God has put in my life? What am I supposed to do? Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. What's my responsibility? And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Let me just say this. Every single person that's a believer, God has put someone over them. You may not like that language, but that's the language of the Bible. That means there are those that God has put in our life to speak truth into our lives, that we are to esteem as leaders, the ones that are ahead of us, the ones that God... Now, you may not have chosen your leader. I certainly didn't choose my leader. I didn't choose the church I walked into. I didn't choose the pastor. God made those choices for me, and I'm grateful for that because I think if I would have made those choices, I would have changed my mind multiple times. But because God established it, so, so I would put it this way, whether you personally chose, like maybe you're here, you say, well, I'm checking your church out today, Ed, and maybe we'll make this our home church. And you think it's all about your choice. It's not, God chose me for you. Take that. <laughs> That's just the way he's doing it and working in your life. And even if it's just for now, God chose me. I may not be the best choice. I may not be the choice that you wanted. But through the giftings and the talents and who I am and who God is making me and my experience and his spirit in my life, God chose me for your life. Or you're working with someone overseeing you here or whatever it might be. 
It's not your choice that gets emphasized. It's God's choice. And to me, that kind of takes the burden off of me. I'll let God make it as my choice. <laughs> Choose what you want me to do, Lord, and I will follow you. Deny myself and take up my cross. So notice verse 13. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. We exhort you, brethren, warn those that are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, and see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. And he goes on with a bunch of little instructions that all could be part of this. But let me give you three main things to consider. You can pray about it. Number one, how do we treat our leaders? Number one, we esteem them very highly. We esteem them very highly. Number two, we exercise our spiritual gifts. How do we treat our spiritual leaders? We live in the spiritual realm and we use the gifts that God has given to us within the body. And number three, we're at, be at peace among yourselves. One of the greatest things you can do for your pastor and your leader is to be at peace with yourselves as a body of Christ. To not allow divisions and slander and God, be at peace among yourselves. It will bless your pastor immensely. If you're obeying Matthew 18 and resolving your issues and humbling yourself, be at peace among yourselves. And then he goes through a whole list of things, but consider that we do have a re responsibility to those that God has put in and thank God for his strong leaders. Verse 20, Elisha died. This is back in 2 Kings now. They buried him and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of that year. So it was as they were burying a man, they suddenly spied out a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. I mean, Elisha was the kind of guy that even after his death, he was greatly affecting people. I mean, this is pretty dramatic. I've never seen anything like this in my life. But man, this is, this is amazing. What a man Elisha was. And Ahaziel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But notice verse 23, the grace of God. The Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and would not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. And might I just say through Jesus Christ, God is gracious to you and he has compassion on you and has regarded you because of the covenant that he's made with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have this view of God that he's just ready to pounce us and destroy us and waiting for the first failure, but God is gracious and patient and kind and compassionate that he would do such great things in our lives. Haziel, the king of Syria, died in verse 24, and Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place, and Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father, by war. Three times Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. So when Elisha dies, there's this immediate invasion. The promises given through the prophet was, were quickly tested. And God... He, he graciously meets the nation with an incredible miracle of giving this man's life back to him. It was almost as if, don't look to man. I know Elisha's dead, but God says, I'm still at work. Don't look to man. It's always a great reminder for us. 
And as any great work of God, it no doubt served to encourage the nation through the difficulties they were facing, reminding us of God's faithfulness, that he's still with us, that he still gives life. And so here are these victories that come toward the end of the chapter to the king, even as it was prophesied. Even though the Syrians were determined, the Syrians were determined to destroy Israel, God was greater, and his determinative plan was to protect Israel. And that's just the devil's goal in your life and mine, you know. He's relentless. He just doesn't give up. It doesn't matter if you look to the left. It doesn't matter if you look to the right. It doesn't matter if you look down. You know, the devil is relentlessly going after you. Now, I do believe we give the devil far more credit than he deserves, but I don't think we should go below and not give him the credit that he deserves in the sense that the, the, many of the things in your life have come directly from the pit of hell. It's demonic in origin because the devil's relentless. And remember, we have a threefold enemy, the world system, the flesh, and the devil. And the world in which we live is just throwing at us all these thoughts and all these images and all these, just the way the world thinks is so anti-God, just the way it processes things. And then the flesh is, is, is tempted by the world. There's not a day that goes by that you're not tempted by something in this world. It doesn't even have to be bad. You don't even have to be intending to be tempted. You're just going to, to Safeway for a loaf of bread. And somebody has a better cart than you do. Yours has got the wheel going. And they've got this brand new streamlined drives itself cart. And you're like, I want that cart. Why do I always get the one with the wheel? I always get the one with the wheel. And then you just begin, you know, you just begin to be tempted to badmouth God. Just use the cart you got, man. You just went in for a loaf of bread. What'd you get a cart for anyway? <laughs> and you know, silly and it's kind of, but, but then you go up to the cash register and then there's those magazines and then there are those stories and then there's that perfect house and then there's that brand new car and then there's whatever it might be. You didn't ask, you didn't wake up and go, I think I'll be, go to Safeway to be tempted a hundred different times. But that's life because the world is pressing, 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 pressing. And your flesh, it's hungry especially as you're walking in the Spirit. Because when you're walking in the Spirit, you're really starving your flesh, feeding the Spirit, starving the flesh, so your flesh is hungry, looking for any way to satisfy itself. And so the devil's not stupid. He knows how to use the world to tempt your flesh because if he can get you and me into the realm of the flesh, we're over, it's over. We cannot fight spiritual battles with human weapons. And so here, just like the enemies of Syria, just relentlessly coming after the children of Israel, the devil is relentlessly coming after us. Jesus put it this way. If you're still yet unconvinced, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. He says, yes, I'm the gate, Jesus says, and those who come in through me will be saved. Wherever they go, they'll find green pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. 
Jesus has come to give you life, victory, power, that his sufficient grace will get you through anything that you face as you surrender to him. King Jehoash won three great victories against the Syrians. And later on, Jeroboam II will even take back some of the land. And God's promise comes true and the people of God were spared. And it was during this time under Jehoash and, or Jehoash and Jeroboam II that not since the time of Solomon was the kingdom at a greater place of strength and a greater place of prosperity. And you would think they would turn back to the Lord, but they don't. Idolatry and false worship continue to plague the land. Might I just say as we leave here today that we often think our most challenging times in our relationship with God are in the trials and the difficulties. But those are not the most challenging times in your life. The most challenging time in your life when it comes to your relationship with God are times of prosperity. Times when everything is going well. When there's money in the bank and there's a promotion at work and your marriage is doing well and the economy's doing well and everything seems to be going well. It's in those times that a people forget their God. After all, why do you need God if you have everything already? Why do you need God if everything is already fulfilled in your life and everything's taken care of? We often think prosperity is going to lead to the most fruit. And again, I'm speaking in general terms because in, in many cases, in prosperity, the gospel goes out even more. That's true. But in your own life, as much as you don't like the trials in your life, I want to remind you that the trials you're enduring right now are keeping you close to God. Embrace them. Remember that it's in your weakness that God's strength is made perfect. That it's in your times of desperation that you're crying out to God. That your prayer life is expanded. That you are, are in a place of desperation before God. And be careful around the times of prosperity in your personal life, in your family life, in your in our country, in our church. Prosperity tends to make a people soft and comfortable. And they begin to coast and kick back, not pressing into the things of God. And so the battle is used by God to draw out of us a deeper desperation. And I know you want to be healed. And my heart's with you. I want you to be healed. And I know you want that situation resolved and my heart's with you. I'd like to see that situation resolved. And I know you'd like a little more financial freedom and I'm with you. I wish you had more financial freedom. But like Paul, God is teaching you how to be content whether you're abounding or you're being abased. God is reminding you that your strength pales in comparison to the strength of God and that in your weakness you're learning firsthand you don't need a testimony you have your own now that God's strength and his grace is sufficient for you
We've been looking at the Old Testament book of 2 Kings here on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. And if you missed any portion, you can simply go online to calvaryaurora.org. Another convenient way to get these daily studies is by signing up to receive the free Abounding Grace podcast. Load the messages onto your mobile device and listen at the gym, in the car, or wherever you go. Just go to calvaryaurora.org or look for Abounding Grace Radio in iTunes. You can also get our app. It's available on all platforms. This is another way to hear our program. Search for Calvary Aurora. What is the key that unlocks God's blessings? In a word, grace. That's the emphasis in Chuck Smith's book, Why Grace Changes Everything. In it, he explores the mystery of grace and reveals why we can never grow in grace by our own efforts. It comes from the Lord. We'd like to send you a copy of Why Grace Changes Everything for your gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace today. Please remember, it's through your support that we're able to present this radio program on this station and others like it. Call 877-30-GRACE or make a secure donation online at calvaryaurora.org. If you'd rather write, our mailing address is Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. We'll return to Second Kings next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We'll see you then. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado.